Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Well, all right. This is your host, Alan, and welcome to another episode of Porch Talk. Coming to you tonight from the Grider residence in East Nashville here with Chris. So, Chris, what's going on, brother? Man, just enjoying my Friday night. Thanks for coming over. Yeah, man. And so what brings uh, me over here to East Nashville is I came up with Munson. We're here to work Tomato Fest. We're here to swing some beard oils and candles and soap to the good folk at Tomato Fest. And Chris was kind enough to open up his home to us. And so just a little background. How did that, how did that, how did that start? How did y'all meet each other? Anna and I or us and Munson? Munson. Oh, man. That. Well, that all started with Anna becoming friends with Mrs. Munson back in the day in England a long time ago. Yeah, yeah Catherine mm-hmm. went to school over there, right? Exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, it's been a crazy whirlwind. I mean, gosh, to be, uh, yeah, for us to be all so close together now after those girls grew up together in England is kind of crazy. But, but yeah, wait, so then, yeah, Catherine married Ryan, or Ryan married Catherine, however that worked. And um, so, yeah, now we're just been friends ever since then so been a lot of fun they were good folks with the Munsons so Chris like uh, originally growing up where are you from so I'm from Norman Oklahoma home of the Sooners home of the Sooners yeah is that a Boomer Sooner Boomer Sooner absolutely I gotta tell you a story it was uh, last time that Bama and Oklahoma played each other I think it was in the Sugar Bowl uh, and uh, I was at that game oh wow and uh, we got destroyed <laughs> like uh, first quarter it was looking real strong and then the Bama fans started chanting SEC yeah and then it was just like you turned Alabama off and you turned Oklahoma on yeah they're and, like binary man it's like an on off switch yeah and I was living down in Mobile and so um, me and my ex-wife went to that game and I wish we had been in our own vehicle <laughs> because we we caught a bus in Mobile and rode over to New Orleans and uh, I was wanting to leave <laughs> <laughs> Like, can we please go home? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was fun. You know, we kind of had high seats, and so you know how close the colors are between the two teams. Right, right, yeah. And the whole time she was like, has Bama got the ball? And I was like, I wish. <laughs> I wish. But they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's one of those games kind of lives on in, in, in sooner lore for, you know, for, for decades. I mean, I don't know, the thing I've always known about being, being a Sooner fan, and even though, like, I've never been a big athlete, and even being there, like, just being there is the reason I, I like college football, you know? You can't yeah. be for Norman and not like it. But, yeah, being down there, it's, uh, you know, one thing I learned, learned about being a Sooner is that it's pretty binary, man. They're, they're either on or they're off, and there's no, like, middle ground. The Sooners don't ever play just okay. They're either, they either play terrible or they seem to be playing, like, awesome. And so that's how it's been, like, I don't know. I went to school there back in 2000. So we'll oh, you, see. You went to University of Oklahoma? I did. I did. Back in the day. What was you studying there? Well, I studied a couple different things. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I wound up, uh, yeah, I did architecture and MIS, which is like management information systems. So I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, I wound up getting out of there with a, with a degree in supply chain management and marketing at the same college at the time. So, yeah, that's... Why well, I buy things. I buy things professionally. That's what I do. Gotcha. And so, um, just growing up, coming up out of high school, getting into uh, college, what were some of the, the big interests you had? I mentioned kind of being nerdy, but what else did you have going on? I don't know. I've, I've just, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I like computers and stuff like that, but I've always, I, I don't know, I think my three things are always been like, yeah, computers, music, um, all my friends back home were all musicians. You picked an awful town to live in if you like music. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Norman's got some good things going for it. They got the deli, my coasty. They got some good things. <laughs> but um, Norman Music Fest, you know. But, um, but yeah, it's not, you know, come on. We're, we're not like Florence, Alabama, Muscle Shoals. I mean, yeah. come on. That's, that's a pretty high standard to go by. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and and really, like my big my big thing has always been just cars. I've always just been a car guy. So how'd that start? I don't know. I mean, I think it's I think it's a family thing. I mean, my grandpa growing up, he always got a new car every year, and I mean, he was a wheeler and dealer. He'd get one in, he'd flip it a few months later. He'd get a good deal on it. He'd figure out a way to get you know the best deal in town, and you know. He's the only guy I ever knew that kept selling cars and kept getting more money out of them, right? I wow. mean, you know, he's that's just kind of how he's always run it. So is he a European or American? What was his favorite oh, kind no. of car? Oh, well, Grandpa is Grandpa's a very domestic man. He he is a former prison uh, prison warden and gun dealer, so he always he always kind of drove a Chevy or a Dodge. Sometimes in his, you know, you, you could see him in a Lincoln, but you know, he's now he's a Cadillac man, but. Um, but yeah, he was always a domestic guy. But then I think also like they kind of bled over like my cousin, um, you know, me and him, you know, we were, we always see each other, you know, nearly every weekend. He's a car guy. And so I don't know, it's just car for just a big part of our family. Mm-hmm. And I mean, some of my earliest memories were getting car related things for like, for, for my birthday. I think when I was four. Be like a Hot Wheels or... Yeah, I mean Hot Wheels, but I remember I got this book when I was four. You know, my dad got had like you know, you know, the old camcorders where you had like you'd carry the VCR with it and that battery that was like huge and would last fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he recorded me at my birthday, and you know, I, I got this book like some like the centenary of the car, like this big coffee table book just full of like a hundred years of cars. I'm just sitting there, just like it's my birthday party, right? I'm just sitting here reading through this book. I don't know, I just always have been, you know, it's. I think it's just in my blood. I don't know other, any other way to describe it. And so turning 16 or whenever it was you got your first car, what was it? Oh, man. It was it was every 16-year-old's dream. The 1994 Nissan Altima GXE in Merlot. Oh, wow. <laughs> Living it up. Yeah. Automatic transmission, four-speed, 150 horsepower, KA24DE engine. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you about my beater. Oh, man. Tell me all about it. 94 Crown Victoria. Oh. Windows, when you rolled them down, they wouldn't roll back up. Oh. So you can only do it once, huh? <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was, it picked up a lot of girls, man. It had a lot of motor. Had a V8 in that thing. Yeah, it did. Oh, my dad had a Crown Victoria for a while. That was, a, that was kind of hand-me-down for my grandpa. And you can get into trouble with some Crown Victorias. They're kind of fun. They are. They are fun. And uh, yeah. after that, shortly after it was wrecked, for imaginable reasons. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was a 92, and I don't know how to describe this green. We're going to go with, uh, there's not a color in here. Maybe uh, the color of that cup over there. It's like a really, really dark green. Well, every car in the early 90s was that color green, right? That that like really think, dark, you know, like hunter green or something, I think it was like th- Yeah, I was going to go say hunter green, but I don't know if I would. Yeah, I guess it would. Yeah. And so that Ford Ranger was different. And I haven't seen another Ford Ranger like it. What made it so unique was it had a V6. Oh, yeah. Like, most of them have a 1.8 liter. Right, right. But this one had, like, a 2.3. And it was a V6. Hmm. And, um... Small V6. Yeah. And the thing, like, uh... You put it to the floor, the thing would go. And with a lot of Ford Rangers, that wasn't a thing. Right. Uh, You put it to the floor, (laughs) and you'd wait for it to go. Right. But, uh... But... (laughs) Those two vehicles were a lot of fun, and um, like after that senior year, I got a uh, 2008 Ford Ranger. It was one of the last years that they made a Ford Ranger, and uh, now a Tacoma. But I hear you're you got a you got a foreign obsession. Well, yeah, I've, I've been a sob guy for a while, and not many. Yeah, it's 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 a weird deal. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm not many of us sob guys out there. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. How did that start? So, I, don't, I mean, I think the first time I ever really 
remember hearing about Saab when I was, I was probably in fifth grade. And a buddy of mine, his dad was, you know, in the auto business in, in Oklahoma City. And I remember my buddy's older sister, she had just turned 16 or something. And she was like, hey, so my friend, you know, I just remember this conversation. And I said, my friend, my friend Alexis is getting a new car and she wants a Saab. And her, you know, her stepdad was like, why the heck would anyone want a Saab? You know, we're not getting you a Saab. That was my first recollection of him. But I don't know. So at that point, it kind of, it kind of stood out in my mind. I don't know why. I don't know mm-hmm. why like, I remember that conversation. But I just I remember seeing one. So back in 1999, they were trying to compete with um, BMW. Okay. You know, BMW had the M3 and all this and... So, Saab's came out with, it was called the 9.3 Vigan. So, it was like a three-door or two-door hatchback that had this crazy blue paint on it, this crazy blue metallic paint. And it was tuned by this race shop who, you know, uh, in England. Um, and just a really unique car. And, you know, uh, going to lunch one day with my friends back in high school, I remember, you know, eating a gyro with my buddy BJ and looked out. He's like, hey, that's a Vigan. It's a Saab 9.3 Vigan. I'd never seen one before. I just remember that, st- that stood out in my mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just, I just thought, what, what a unique looking car. And I remember, like, going to the auto shows then. From that point forward, I'd, like, kind of check them out. I went to the auto show. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the auto show and just looking at them. They're just so, like, so different. Like, you know, you... You go into like a most cars, you get in the interior, and it seems like, you know, they they put an interior because they had to, because people had to be there, right? Yeah. Um, and they put in a radio because people wanted to have a radio, but they didn't really think about how people interacted with the radio, you know, ergonomics or even really the design. Like the radio might come from Clarion, and and so like the buttons wouldn't. You know, the buttons wouldn't look like any other buttons in the car. The font wouldn't match. It'd be like a black radio that'd be chrome or or glossy, but everything else behind it would be matte. Like, just most car design wasn't very cohesive. Mm -hmm. We get into a Saab, and like, you know, everything just looked like, it was was really well designed. Like, everything looked like it it had its place. Like, it it was intentionally there. And the other thing, too, was that I just remember, like, looking in you know the, the manuals and they had this whole like born from jets thing going on right like saw, saw like they were, they came from uh basically it stands for swedish aircraft company is what saab stands for s-a-a-b and um and so you know like they're like the, inside the cars they had a safety card of like you know that looked just like an air, airline seat back pocket so just little like neat things like that right mm-hmm. so yeah, that kind of got me thinking about them, and then back in college, um, you know, long story short, I wound up doing uh, studying abroad in a town called Linköping in Sweden, and Linköping is where Saab was founded. That's where Saab Aerospace still is today, and that's where they made the first Saab cars. And so in Linköping, anywhere you go, it's like I mean, Saabs are everywhere. Taxi yeah. cabs are Saabs. Police cars are Saabs. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, it, that was just such an important part of my life. You know, like when I was, that was the first time I'd ever, I mean, I grew up in Norman, went to OU, and the first time I ever really left left home, left my friends, um, left my comfort zone, yeah. was going to Sweden. And I was the only American that I knew that I didn't know anyone else who was going from OU. No one else went from OU. What was uh, you going over there for? What was, what was you studying over there? Uh, it was still like in the business program. Okay. I mean that point like was you know, more looking just for a life experience and traveling at the time what was what was behind leaving so i think like if you grow up in norman like a lot of a lot of kids wind up going to ou i mean it's mm-hmm. just like norman high school you know part two right and you know and so my friend a lot of my friends did and it's was, it was a good school and it's nearby and you get in-state tuition and i mean there's a lot of reasons to stay in there but what I wound up doing, which they tried to get you not to do, and I learned why, is that I wound up, like, you know, my first year, you know, we all were, like, lived at home for a little bit. 
I think you had to live at home for a little bit. But then you either had to like live in the dorms or live at home. Mm-hmm. You could not get an apartment with friends. Like you, you had, they made you sign some paperwork during it that you weren't going to do that. Yeah. So we all like me and friends. We you know, we had this plan, right? We're gonna we're gonna live at home for a little bit, but then like you know partway through the semester we'll go ahead and get an apartment together. Right. And these are like my best friends, right? And we're still all good friends to this day. But man, after living together for six months and like all having to like basically cope with being adults at the same time, I mean, it was like it was miserable. Like you know, I mean, again, we're all still great friends to this day, but. It just wasn't working. It just, it, well, it's just like, it's just kind of depressing, right? Like, you know, because you're not in high school anymore. You're around the same people. You're all going through, like, different struggles, but you're all struggling with something. Yeah. And so... On top of bills now. Exactly. Well, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, financial pressure. I mean, I had a buddy. He didn't have a job, but he had to make payments on his Jeep and also pay the rent. And his name was on the lease. I mean, just all sorts of things that was going on, right? And so, you know, after that, after my first year, I mean, I was like... I just got to get out of town yeah. and you know, going anywhere else for school was just too expensive for like out of state tuition. And, I was, and so stopped in the study abroad office and said, I want to get out of town. Where can I go? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I, I don't know any other languages, but I kind of want to go off the beaten path. I don't want to go to England or any, anywhere else. And they said, go to Sweden. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sign me up. All right. So, I mean, that's probably like the first brave thing I ever did in my entire life was just like, say okay yeah I'll, I'll go right yeah. um and so anyway yeah go over there and i mean and it's such a you know you go there and everyone was really cool and you're living alone um you know go to ikea to get all of your furnishings and i mean you know it's just go get a bike i mean i, I went i went months out getting in a car i mean you just bike everywhere so i think it was just a very transformative time in my life right yeah um and so I think like that, like crosses my car obsession. I mean, really, I mean, I think he was just, yeah, that's how I became a sob guy. So, so after uh, studying abroad, back to Norman? Went back to Norman. And uh, so to talk a little bit about Nashville and getting here, how did you and your wife meet? Was that Norman? So, yeah, we, well, we met, you know, we met in Oklahoma City. So after I came back from from um, doing study abroad. Um, I really should have stayed a year. And I didn't realize that until about a week before I was supposed to go back to the United States. And I said, you know, I've, at that point, I had really good friends over there. Um, I mean, there was all sorts of good things going on. So pictures? Great. On the back, I put your logo. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ella. So we're recording now, so would you mind... Going to bed, we're, we're actually like in the middle of recording something. Is this an interview? Yeah. Yeah. It is. For, for his podcast. These are going to be great. You have a podcast? I do. Yeah. Will you try to sell those? I will. And how much should they be sold for? We'll take uh, a look at them. We'll figure it out. Okay? Yeah. We'll let them price it. They're the professionals. Okay. Good night. Good night. All right. Good night. I will. Good night, Ella. Good night, Daddy. Okay. <laughs> There's my daughter. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so say again. You remember where you were? Yeah, yeah. So, so after I came back from from Sweden, I, um, I don't know. I I was just kind of depressed. I mean, I, I really should have stayed there for a year, and I, I only realized that about a week before I was supposed to come back to Norma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, kind of grown so much, just you know, you know, as a, as a person, um, you know. I'd always been like, you know, um, kind of porky my whole life. And then out there, I'd, I'd ride a bike every day, right? And I'd like, I'd, I mean, most of the food there was like healthy and fresh. And so like for the first time in my life, I'd consider myself as healthy. Um, you know, it was just, it was great out there. And so, but I waited too late to, to change my mind. So came back to Norman, had a, you know, started... 7.30 a.m. accounting class every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I mean, it was just, it was not working out well. I was living back at home with my parents, and, you know, I just, it was not a good semester. So mm-hmm. I went to the international office, and I was like, send me back. <laughs> and, and they said, well, we can't send you back. Yeah. But this happens a lot, <laughs> so they were prepared. They said, what you can do 
is volunteer at the international office till we find you a place where you can go again. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what is volunteering, man? Like, well, we need you to go, like, help out. Um, we have a lot of international students flying in, and we can't get them all, right? And so we need someone just who's, who's got a car who's willing to go up there and pick up international kids from the airport. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up to do that. And I did that for, you know, several months. Um, and then one day I got, um, you know, they said, hey, we got this girl coming in from England. Do you want to go pick her up? And, I mean, I'm in college. I didn't have anything to do. I was out with my buddy BJ. I was like, hey, BJ, do you want to go pick up this girl at the airport? Sure. So anyway, loaded up my dad's grand marquee at the time, yeah, and uh, headed, up, uh, headed up that way and, and that girl turned out to be Anna. How about that? Yeah, yeah. So we became friends ever since, and yeah, worked out worked out well, I'd say. And so, yeah, and she's, uh, you know, she's who brought us to Nashville. So how did all that go down? Just uh, was it immediate dating or? Oh, we were friends for a while. Yeah, yeah we were friends for a while. Moved into it. Yeah, and then we, you know, eventually, you know, one thing led to another, right? And so, um, you know, it was. It was really nice. It was really, it was, it was really cool. I mean, just having that kind of, you know, I mean, I think we were, we were basically inseparable that whole year, you know, and, yeah. you know. I got to ask she, you this. Yeah. On the back of one of the cars out there, I saw Oklahoma City Thunder sticker. Yeah. Who's the fan? Oh, that, well, Anna's a bigger fan. Yeah, she's, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, it was fun being in Oklahoma City when, you know, when they came over from Seattle and, um, I mean, just seeing seeing having the thunder in your backyard was was a fantastic treat. But yeah, man. But yeah, Anna's a Anna's a much bigger fan than I am. She's thoughts on Westbrook leaving. Well, you know, it seems like he's doing a whole lot better of it than Durant did. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's a he's he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And I, you know, I don't. I wish I would have been in Oklahoma City because I heard that uh, he does stand-up on the side. Oh, does he? And I would love to go catch Westbrook doing some stand-up because, like, seeing his pre- and post-game interviews, yeah, he's kind of saucy. <laughs> and so I could only imagine him doing stand-up. I didn't know he did that. You yeah. know, I've heard, like, I mean, he's one of those, like, celebrities around town. You'll get, like, some random celebrity spotting. So, you'll, you know, and just, when we were lived there, I'd work downtown. So I'd be like, hey, I saw Westbrook around lunch. You'd see, like, you know, Wayne Coyne was another celebrity you'd, uh-huh. see, you'd see going around. And, you know, we didn't have that many of them. I mean, we yeah. was basically them and, you know, Gary England, our world-famous meteorologist. Who's, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was one of the ones who and people would be like, hey, Westbrook. And he's always, everything I heard, he's always really cool, you know? Yeah, he, uh, he's one of my favorite players in the NBA. And... Don't get me wrong, I, like a lot of people don't like Westbrook. They think he plays incredibly selfish basketball, and I wouldn't argue with that. But um, I like what he says and in just interviews about, you know, who he is as a person. He's like, I'm still a person. And, like, when I'm not playing basketball, I have things that I enjoy. And when I found out he does stand-up, I was like, I would kill to see that. Because <laughs> I wonder what that's like, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma City's one of those towns, too. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty relaxed. So, you know, yeah. he can do it. And you know, a few people will talk about it. But I don't know if it would make the news the next day. It's just, a, it's just kind of a chilled city, you yeah. know? You know, it's kind yeah. of nice. I like, to, I like to kind of keep it secrets, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, Nashville, how long have y'all been over here now? Oh, a couple years. Yeah, just, how was it? I think 2016, if I remember right. So, yeah, in December 2016, we moved out of here. All right, and so with Saab, when the when did you pick up your first Saab? <laughs> that, was, that was actually, uh, I think it was Anna and I's first big fight. So I picked that up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so at the time, I, um, so, after school, I worked for an airline. And um, one person about working for an airline is that you get free um, transportation. Oh, you, get, you, get, you can fly standby for, well, not free, but really cheap. And... I was looking for, uh, I mean, again, I just knew I wanted to have a Saab, and my, at this point, Anna was driving my, my old Nissan, which is a great car, but, um, you know, it was, at this point, I'd probably put 100,000 miles on, it was leaking, and, um, you know, I had, uh, I had another car that didn't really suit me very well, and that was a, 
I was a kind of a gift from my grandpa and loved it. But I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sell this while I can sell, it's still worth something. So timing was right. I'm gonna go out and buy like the first car I actually want with money that I have from mm-hmm. the job. And um, so yeah, it had to be a sob. You know, it had to be a sob. So yeah. Anyway, just just so the listeners know, I did, we did get Anna a car uh, before we got my sob as well because she's driving around my old. So we got, took took care of the wife first. So she got a great little Mazda and loved it. But yeah, so then it's my turn to get a new car. So I so I got this. Uh, I got to searching and I found this 1999 Saab 93 down at Troy Aikman Ford in Dallas, Texas. And so you know, Ann always knew I was like a, a car guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always looking looking at cars. I and mean, that was like that was what I did. That was my hobby. And but I never actually had you know, I hadn't really bought one, you know, and so I remember it was just online, you know, looking and finally I was like, This is just a good deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it was like it was a uh, just a couple years old and I think they only wanted like nine grand for it. I mean, it was just a super good deal. And you could tell like the pictures of it online had been like it was a, had frost on it. I was like, well, it's not very often that Dallas gets frost. It was like May. And I was like, Dallas hasn't had frost in months, right? Mm-hmm. So I know they'd sat on it for a while. So I was like, I'm just going to go take a look at it. So, you know, Anna had to work that Saturday. And I'm just like, I, I told her, like, honey, I'm going to go look at a car down in Dallas. So went to the airport and flew down to Dallas to pick me up. And, I mean, the car was amazing. I mean, it was a super clean shape and worked with them a little bit on the price they came down to where where an even better deal so i remember um i remember i was making the deal right there and i called her on the way home she said you bought a car i said i bought a sob honey you know i was yeah. like that's great you know i told yeah. the whole deal i'm like all excited she's like wait you bought a car without talking to me and i was like oh well i mean i told you i was gonna come down and look at a car it's like yeah you said look and so <laughs> So anyway, that was awkward for for a little while, yeah. Um, but but yeah, that was uh, that was like my first sob. So great car. I mean, I don't know. There's something about it. it was just you know, it, you know, it's uh, kind of a bright red, uh, Imola red, just a beautiful car and a lot of fun. And you, know, you never saw any. I mean, they were they were still pretty rare in Tulsa even back then. It's yeah. something rare here. Like, uh, I rarely see a lot of sobs, especially like Alabama, Mississippi. It's not something you see on the road a whole, whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were big up in the Northeast and yeah. like, you know, and um, also like in Colorado because, you know, the front wheel drive, they handle pretty well, like, mm-hmm. you know, in the snow and all that stuff. I worked at a, a salvage yard for, um, for a couple of years while I was living down in Mobile, Alabama. And of course, it'd be a lot of domestic, uh, you know, Ford Dodge Chevy. And there would be a lot of BMWs, uh, predominantly, I believe, because the owner's brother was a BMW guy. Mm. And so, get the, get acquire that car, and if there was some parts off those cars that he wanted, of course, he had first pick. Yeah. Or maybe just buy a car that he wanted to, because he liked to race. He would race BMWs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, But I think the entire time I worked there, I think we came across and bought one side. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know? And so, like, on the way up here, Ryan's telling me about you. He's like, he's a sob guy. And I was like, I can't wait to talk to him because I want to know why. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you got the sob. I got the sob. And, like, I don't know. I, there's just something, like, I've really enjoyed about him because, you know, again, being a car guy, they're kind of, you know, I don't know, my personality, like, I've never really been flashy, right? I don't want to, like, I don't want to be like the center of attention. I don't want to take the, all the credit for stuff. But um, I'm just, I try to be like more, I try to be more practical, right? So I try to think like everything I do is just like the most efficient way of doing it. I don't know why. I've just kind of always been that way. I was, I was the kind of kid like growing up, I'd be like figuring out a way to like do something with a minimal amount of effort. So it's been an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out like how to how, what's the most practical way of doing this right and so does this go back to like when you were talking about the interior of a sob earlier with like just looking at the radio and seeing how practical it was and yeah. seeing it just made sense yeah like they ex- actually the the manufacturer actually felt like they sat in the car and was like this needs to be here this is practical 
Yeah, they exactly. Go to the... Like there's like there's like I mean they were never flashy cars. Like they weren't like they weren't meant to be flashy. Like they're just they were like I mean in Sweden they're just like a Chevy or a Buick. Mm. I mean they're they're just you know they're a little bit more sporty. And I think that's the kind of thing I liked about them too is that they're kind of like they're very practical and they're very like um, I don't know kind of utilitarian. They've always been restrained in design. But they're also like, but yeah, I mean, you can fold down the back seats and, I mean, you can move a house in one of those things. You know, they also had, um, you know, they came with like manual transmission. They, you know, they were the, they weren't the first car to be turbocharged, but they were the first company to sell a pri- primarily turbocharged cars. Mm-hmm. And so they were just a lot of fun. You know, you get the, I mean, it was a two, two liter turbo, put out 205 horsepower. And I mean, I remember there's at a time there's an advertisement that came out, and that the Saab 9000, which you know was a pretty pretty similar engine and pretty similar power output, um, was faster to like from like I don't know 30 to 70 than a Ferrari Testarossa, right? Because I mean they were just like that the way they had it tuned with the with the big you know Mitsubishi turbos on them, they were just they were just pretty quick cars, mm-hmm. and so I mean they were fun. They were fun. Like they weren't always. They weren't at the best handling, right? They're not like. It's not like going to be like a Porsche or anything like that. But they were just. You know, they were. They were practical, but they weren't like flash. They weren't saying, "Hey, look at me." Um, but I mean, you could haul. You know, four friends, a bunch of stuff, and still have a good time driving it. Yeah. You know, and so I, there's there's not really any cars like that anymore. I mean, I don't know. They're just. Um, you know. It seems like they're either kind of you know they're you know like a, they're like a sedan or uh, you know small cars don't have a whole lot of power. I mean, there's, I guess there may be a couple like a Golf GTR or something like that, but you know they all seem to every car out there nowadays seems to kind of like fit in a box. Whereas uh, they were kind of soft, kind of did their own the thing. Box. Yeah, they kind of did their own thing, you know. Yeah, and so the conventions, how did that come to be? Oh yeah, so I mean, Saab. Saab Club of North America has had these conventions going on for like thirty something years. I think this year was like the thirty fourth, thirty fifth. I don't don't remember the exact number, but it's a lot. It's a long time, mm-hmm. and they've always had like a just a devoted community of, of Saab owners. And the thing they used to say about Saab when, when they were still in business was that the hardest part of a sale was getting someone to come to dealership because most people came down to dealership and test drove a Saab, bought a Saab. But it was just hard getting people in, you know. And then they had a small dealership or a small dealership network and all that compared to basically any other make. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they had. The, I mean, the retention was something that you know most automakers would dream for. I mean, I, I forget what the number was, but they were just. I mean, you bought a Saab, you bought another Saab, and you bought another Saab, you bought another. Yeah, you're just a Saab owner at this point. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, they started doing these conventions because. You know, people love their cars so much they wanted to hang out with other Saab owners. Um, and so I've been a part of the National Club um, since, gosh, I think about 2015 is when I joined the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was through just another crazy Saab owner as a friend of mine. Um, so back in 2011, so when... Um, yeah, 2011 when when Saab finally uh, went out of business. Um, you know, I had just bought one. I'd always I told Anna I always wanted to buy a new Saab. At this point, you know, I'd sold my red Saab and had um, bought another one since. But I was like, oh, I've always wanted to buy a new Saab, and I, um, you know, would save some money. And you know, at that point, they were going. You could buy a new one for like 40 percent off. I mean, they were, you know pretty reasonably priced um and so wound up um buying one and, and seeing how they're doing all these you know kind of save sob rallies around the around the country and around mm-hmm. the world you know people there are a lot of just passionate owners and they want to keep it around so i emailed a guy and they were doing a save sob rally down in dallas and there's you know there's websites you know sob fan websites and so basically, at these safe sob rallies, you know, people were just going out there. Then you know, you get you know anywhere between you know small town, you get maybe ten cars or like 
you know, some places had 20, 30, even 100 cars show up. And he was doing one down in Dallas. And I said, hey, man, I want to come join you, but I can't because I'm picking up my new saw this weekend. And he said, well, that's the only legitimate excuse for missing this. <laughs> so, okay. Um, you know, and so anyway, one time, a few months later, he, you know, he sent me a message. He said, hey, you're in Norman, right? And at the time, you know, he still lived in Norman. He said, I'm going up there to pick up a, a Saab dealership sign from, you know, the, the dealer that went into business. I said, are you around? Do you want to grab a drink? And so anyway, met up with him and, you know, we spent probably the next, uh, him and another friend of ours. And uh, we probably spent the next, I don't know, three hours just talking about Saab. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at that point, I mean, you know, we, we became good friends. He he started the Saab Club of Texas, and then eventually I started, you know, he inspired me to start the Saab Club of Oklahoma at the time, and that's just a community, because, I mean, if you had to Saab in Oklahoma, you didn't know where to go. I mean, company was gone, and so right. the dealerships. Yeah, know, I mean, didn't... what about maintenance? Yeah, I mean, the dealerships, I mean, the dealership in Norman went away um, very quickly thereafter. Um and, you know, depending on what day of the week you called the, the former dealer in Oklahoma City, they'd say they worked on them or they didn't. You mm-hmm. know, there, there was just no support. And um, so, you know, I started the club basically to provide people with a resource. Say, hey, if you live in Oklahoma, um, you know, there's, you know, we can help you find parts and, you know, try to help you find people who at least work on your car and that type of thing to keep these cars on the road. Mm-hmm. So um, that was his premise down in Dallas. That's why I started the South Club Oklahoma, and so did that for a couple of years. Had a lot of you know fun events. Made some you know really good friends. Still have to this day. And uh, then uh, my buddy down in Dallas, Daniel, he said, "Well, why don't you come join the national board with me?" Mm-hmm. And so we joined her about. I think he joined about a year before I did, and got me to join it. And so since then, I've been working on really these national conventions for the South Club of North America every year. So I just came back from our uh, last one in Loveland, Colorado. Just was it last week? I guess yeah. Time flies when you're having fun. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, gosh, they're a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. Yeah. And just as far as like finding them around, is it still? Is it kind of rare? Is it kind of like like finding a one for sale? Maybe in a lot. Is it still? Is it kind of like a, a diamond in the rough for you or? Well, with you know Facebook and in in the in um, you know website like Car Gurus and all these apps nowadays, I mean it's not there's still there's still some nice ones out there. Yeah. Um, you know, one site Sobnet is. I mean, I've been reading Sobnet since before I even owned a Sob. I mean, just really good technical forms. They have a good classified section. So if you want one, you can still find them. Um, and there's still quite a few around. I mean, they sold a lot of convertibles. And the thing about a convertible, you know, if you're out there buying a new forty, fifty thousand dollar convertible, a lot of times it's like a second or third car. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're finding you can still find a lot of those out there that are really low miles. I mean, definitely less than hundred K. Um, and so you'll you'll mostly if you if you looked on like, you know, Facebook marketplace or Craigslist today, that's what you'd find. You'd find a Saab nine three convertible. So they're still out there. And really, I mean, parts are still plentiful. Um, so company called Saab Parts North America. They're actually owned by the Swedish government. They're now called Oreo. And so they have done an amazing job of keeping parts available. I mean, just the amount of parts you can still get for these cars to keep them on the road um, is astonishing. So mm-hmm. those, those, those folks are great and they help out with our conventions. They help sponsor our conventions every year. And so, um, you know, they're, they're pretty passionate. And that's, that's kind of the thing about the brand is, you know, unlike some other brand, like most brands, you know, most businesses, they, they start because someone wants to make money, right? And Saab kind of started out differently than that. You know, they're they're just, they really kind of started because the Swedish government was trying to figure out after World War II, how do we, now that we don't need fighter jets anymore, how do we keep people employed and what does this country need to stay relevant? Mm-hmm. And so it started off with like, I think kind of a that's a pretty good reason to start a company, right? Like we want to, we as a country want to be, um, you know, self-sufficient. We've got a lot of really good engineers. Um, you know, why don't we just keep these people employed and making cars that people in Sweden need? 
is it as aggravating as German engineering on the Volkswagen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, um, <laughs> this thing about Saabs, like, from up until like the mid '90s, they were all like completely engineered in Trollhattan, by in the same place where they built the cars, as headquarters, the same place where the CEO worked. And that's pretty unique. Like, car companies are a global enterprise, right? So you'll have the CEO and like the headquarters building in one big city, and then you'll have like 20 different production plants and you know around the world or whatever, right? Saab was different. I mean, they were all kind of based out of one area, one 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 mm-hmm. complex, and um, so because of that, like, for the most part, you know, if they had an engineering issue, you know, if, if there was an, um, um, a situation to where you had a, a part that wouldn't fit because of another part in conflict, you know, Bjorn to go down the hall to talk to Ingrid and they'd get it worked out, right? Yeah. And so I think they have, they have, uh, I don't know, some people call them quirks. I mean, they're, they're, they have, uh, they're unique. They're, their engineering is, is very unique in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, when I think of some of the horror stories I've heard about the Audi V8s and, you know, a lot of the, the plastic parts that you get on BMWs, I don't think Saab ever really had that type of problem. Um, you Would know. you say it goes back to what you were saying earlier? Like they, um, like the, the kind of gist I get from Saab is they're almost like a small business. Like, uh, you know, like they, they weren't into, I guess, global globally getting their car out and just making a ton of money so they weren't trying to do it as cheap as they could possibly do it right i think i mean they more thoughtful yeah they want they want to make cars and they wanted people to drive their cars but it was like more of a we're not going to compromise right i mean they're i mean they're a very safe company i mean they're pioneers at a lot of the different safety devices that we have in cars today um i mean you know this they were just so strong i mean collisions uh, just there was one example on Top Gear, um, and you know, you know, they had a they hung a uh, like a '90s BMW from a crane and dropped it upside down, and it wasn't that high. I mean, it was, I, I forget how high it was, maybe like ten feet or something. Mm-hmm. It wasn't too high, but maybe a little bit higher, higher than that. But it, they dropped the BMW and it, and it smashed, and you know, you get the the roof basically collapsed in the cabin. Right? They did the same thing to a Saab, and it just stood there I mean it was strong right and so yeah. they, so they, they didn't really compromise and that's probably part of the reason why they never made any money I mean you know it's it, it's really hard to make a car um, and you know so I mean it, it's it's really hard to make a car and make any money at it because it's so competitive yeah. you know it's not like with phones where you have either like an you know an Android phone or an Apple phone and you know really you've got Samsung and Apple, and then you right. got some other companies, but it's mostly Samsung and Apple for the most part, right? Yeah, but you know, with car companies, I mean, if you want, yeah, if you if you want a car, I mean, that you want to spend thirty thousand dollars on or twenty thousand dollars or whatever, I mean, you've got fifteen different companies out there that can sell you a vehicle that'll meet your needs for mm-hmm. the for the for that price. They will, and all of them are acceptable, right? There's not one that's just like. Oh no, you don't want that. I mean, these are yeah, that's total garbage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there's no really, there's there's no bad cars left nowadays. Yeah. You know, they're all they've all figured out you know how to make a, a quality car for the most part. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, don't know, I think it's kind of thing about Saab is that you know I think they were just I mean the joke about Saab is that you know they you know they they really they they cared so much about making a good car they forgot how to make any money. <laughs> you know, and, you know, I, I think that's kind of, you know, part of that was their downfall, you know, towards the end, um, you know, and then the, the mid nineties, early nineties, um, you know, General Motors, you know, became the majority owner and, um, you know, with that, you know, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Yeah. I mean, GM gave them the capital they needed to keep going. They provided some cost controls to help them realize like, Hey, if you want to stay in business as a car company, you gotta, you gotta figure out a way to make make money now. But of course, as we know about GM and what happened in two thousand eight when they filed they bankrupted. Record. Yeah, exactly. You know, they weren't experts at it either, and they and they 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 made a lot of bad decisions for their, you know, even for the core brands. Let alone, you know, what what happened to Saab. And so, you know, at the very end, I mean, 
I think some of the last Saabs built were very mechanically they're very high quality cars they're well engineered they handled well but I think a lot of them were kind of old you know I think the the 2011 Saab 93 is the same platform as a 2003 Saab 93 and that's a long time for a luxury car yeah and um, and then you have the uh, you know they they finally came out with a, a new Gen 95. Um, so the first 95 came out in 1998, and they came out with a brand new one in 2010. So that's 12 years for a flagship luxury car, right? And so yeah. that just that, it was just way too long. And um, you know, I think you know GM had they continued to invest in Saab and kind of let them retain some of their um, you know some of their unique you know, some of the things they wanted to do, right? Let, mm-hmm. Give them the investment to do what they wanted to do. They can still be around. and But um, alas, that wasn't the case. Yeah. So, man, earlier you mentioned, and uh, we'll start walking this thing out the door, uh, you like music, and uh, you couldn't have picked a worse town to land in. Like, <laughs> Nashville is just not known for that. Yeah. Oh, it's been great um, just being here. I mean, you know, I mean, this house right here, you know, in East Nashville, you know, basically, and the thing about East Nashville is if uh, if it's a musician in Nashville who's not on CMT, they typically live in East Nashville. Yeah. And um, so, I mean, it's great. Everywhere you go, I mean, you know, heck, our neighbors are musicians. I'm surprised you're not here and practicing right now. And so, um, yeah, neighbors behind us, neighbors aside, I yeah. mean, it's just, it's a musical town. Well, right now, we could step outside on the portion here, Ben Fode's down the down the way <laughs> down the ascend yeah exactly exactly so this is an awful place yeah yeah I mean I, I was fortunate <laughs> I mean I I got to take my daughter to her first concert a few weeks back and we got to hear Andrew Bird at the Ryman I mean you know what a great venue that's a legendary venue in my mind yeah for your first show I mean that's just I don't know you know someday she'll realize how how fortunate she is to, to live here but that was a that was a pretty good first show for her so we yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to be here, and especially as I've always really loved, you know, thanks to my buddy BJ who kind of inspired me. I always loved, you know, southern music. So yeah. you know, drive by truckers, you know, Jason Isbell, kind of the same thing, I guess. Go back yeah. together, and then uh, you got yeah, Sturgill Simpson. I mean, just oh, yeah. a, lot, a lot of good, like you know, kind of. I mean, Almond Brothers band, a lot of good, just southern artists so are some of those your favorites now or yeah yeah absolutely absolutely those are the, those are the folks I listen to the most it seems like gotcha well as uh, your wife mentioned I'm not going to leave this out this is a podcast between two gingers yeah so uh, nothing exploded no no we're good I think the world's a little bit better, better place yeah. when two gingers get together so I can't argue with that absolutely anything else you want to add or subtract no man it's been a pleasure thank you for coming over tonight yes sir thank you for hosting Hosting, uh, hosting me here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah, man. Well, it's been another episode of Ports Talk. We're out. News and notes. Well, me and Monson will be working Tomato Fest tomorrow. We'll be on a corner venue. If you happen to be there, I don't know if you'll hear this podcast in time to make it out. But we'll be selling some art from a young artist, entrepreneur. So come out and check that out, along with all the Monson products. We hope to see you out there. Gonna walk this thing out the door with uh, my friend Brad Armstrong. A song called "Climb Any Mountain." It's off of his album. I got no place remembers me. Peace out.
how it brought only man. I would set this whole world to a blaze if I thought I'd see you again. If I thought I'd see you. Let me stand at the throne. I would murder the lords of the universe if you would take me back home. But there's no kind of worry. I would lay at your feet. You can go anywhere that you please, and I'll stay right here where you left me. I will stay right here where you left me. So lay down my head. I can't walk anymore. Lay down my bones in the holler. Guns in my hand, shall go back to the land, and my love I shall haunt you no more. I shall haunt you, my darling. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.